it's been so fantastic just to be reminded of God's character and nature. I don't know if you've realised, but as we've been going through the series, there's been a lot of references to Psalms. And for those that have hard days and rough days, just really encourage you to just open the Bible at Psalms and start reading about the nature and the character of God. Such a great reminder this morning to hear those things in context in people's lives. Because as you've realised, the nature and character of God doesn't change. Doesn't matter whether you know it or not. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. His nature and his character is how it is. Sometimes people use the phrase, God can't do something. Like he can't, can't be evil. And yet it makes it sound like he's locked into something. God does whatever he wants. God is wild in our sense of the word wild in that he can't be tamed. He's not a vending machine. He can't be manipulated, and yet he chooses, his nature is such that he is good. He's good because it's his choice to be good. He wants to be good. It's his nature to be good. He is mighty because that is his nature. He is gracious because that is his nature. Whether you believe it or not, that is who he is. And I love all those things are actually too big for us to fit into our heads. They're actually too big for us to fully understand. What does it mean to be almighty? What does it mean to be good, like perfectly good? You go, it doesn't fit in my head because I don't know anyone or anything physically in humanity that's like that. And yet today we get little glimpses of God being good to a boy on a camp. God being good to a lady praying, going, how can I help? We get glimpses. And I don't want to rush this morning. Like we can move on to holy, we're going to get there. But I just want to stop and pause. Because we do a lot of talking and sometimes we actually forget just to pause, to stop and go, huh, that's real. That's not just a nice idea. That's not just what I read in Psalms. That's actually a true and living God that is present. So I just wanted to stop for a second. Before we get on to holy, just think about God being good, being mighty and being gracious. And we've already heard this morning of him demonstrating that this week in people's lives. That's God. That is God. Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. And we rejoice in that. We delight in knowing you in knowing not just in our minds, but in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Scripture, we hear a lot about holy things, holy. God is holy. The temple is holy. 
Moses stands on holy ground. Even Peter says, we are to be holy. Quoting Leviticus, he says, we are to be holy like God is holy. So this word holy gets used a fair bit in scripture. And holy in its simple terms means to be set apart. To be set apart. And historically, it comes from a word that's where you, where you cut the, the good piece of cloth off. You might have some scraps and some tatty bits, but you, you choose the cloth that's the, the good piece of cloth that's set apart for a purpose, in that case, a piece of clothing. But holy seems to be a focus point in Scripture more than other attributes of God. We hear about a lot of, and, and as Tanya said, we could probably go through A to Z of, of God's nature and character. But holy is actually almost higher or has a more focus, more, more intense focus than other words. Not to say those other things are lesser, but holy seems to have a special place in describing God. And there's a preacher called R.C. Sproul, and he makes a really good point. I just want to read it to you. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does say that he is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. This idea of God being holy is actually, is actually really significant in understanding God. But it's also a little bit prickly. I'm just preempting that there's, there's a little bit of um, uh, discomfort in understanding God's holiness that we're going to unpack today. Wayne Grudem, uh, who's a theologian, explains it as two parts. Holy being set apart from something and holy being set apart for something. So when we understand the holiness of God, God is holy because he is set apart from sin and evil. He's apart from it. He doesn't have anything to do in his nature with sin and evil. But he's also set apart for something and that is to be honoured and glorified and revered. So if you think about the first part, he's set apart from sin. We read in 1 John 1.5 that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Psalm 18.30 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. So you can see this idea of him being holy, being separated from sin and evil, that he is light, there is no darkness in him. But in the idea of being glorified and honoured, it's the sense that he is one of a kind. There is no one like him, that he deserves to be worshipped because he is unique. Psalm 86, starting at verse 8, says, No pagan god is like you, O Lord. None can do what you do. All the nations you made will come and bow before you, Lord. They will praise your holy name. For you are great and perform wonderful deeds. 
You alone are God. Psalm 99. The Lord is king. Let the nations tremble. He sits on his throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem, exalted above all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy. They paint a picture of God being separated apart from other things and separated for something, and that is worship and honour. Now, unlike the other characters we talked about, good, mighty, mighty maybe a little bit, and gracious, holy actually naturally in our human nature creates fear. That is the natural response of holy. I'll give you a a simple example that's not God. I don't know about you, but when I am driving along and I see a police car in my rearview mirror. Now, we all agree police are a good part of society, aren't they? We all agree that they serve a beautiful function, and on the whole, they're great people. Why then do I instantly go, oh, crap, am I in trouble? (laughs) What have I done? What's the speedo? I look at my speedo. I'm driving the right speed limit. Like, instantly... The instant moment that I see a police car, I go, oh, what am I doing? Am I okay? Have I done the wrong thing? Because they are set apart for a purpose. And their purpose is to enforce the law. And my immediate response is, oh, awesome. Great to see the police car behind me, making sure everything's right. My response is, oh. Yesterday, we we were collecting highway collection for Southern Cross Kids Camp. And I'm not sure what the technical rule is. I'm not going to ask because it's much more effective if you actually walk between the cars at the stopped lights than you do on the sidewalk. Um, You get a lot more eye-to-eye contact with people. You get a lot more responses and it's much more effective. So I don't want to know the answer, Soretta. However, I do have to say that when Wendy and I were walking down the two aisles and the police car came the other way and, and stopped at the lights, I all of a sudden went, oh, am I going to get in trouble now? <laughs> Up until that point, I was fine. I was, I was quite happy walking between. It was safe. It was, wasn't an issue. There was no one in danger. I was quite confident that this was a healthy environment until I saw the police car. And then I went, I don't know, am I meant to be here? And they just drove on. So I don't know what the story is there, but maybe they had more important things to do. But there is that sense. When we come to this idea of God is holy, the natural response is fear. Because if God is holy, how do I fit into that picture? What does that mean for me? And there's actually two parts to this fear. And I want to go through the two responses, fear responses. Because there's an example in Isaiah where Isaiah gets taken up into this vision. And in this vision, he sees... God. He's in the presence of God. And in that place, he sees angels. In fact, I'm going to to read it out to you from Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord 
high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, and with, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is what they're calling out. At the sound of their voices, this is not even God, this is just the, the angels, the seraphim. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, woe to me. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When you think about the idea of God being holy, he's separated from sin and evil and is elevated to a place of being glorified, the natural response is, woe to me. I am ruined. I do not fit in this picture. Isaiah was right. He was right to respond that way because he got a glimpse of the holiness of God. But hang on, you say. I've been taught that fear is not of God. So was Isaiah wrong? If fear is not of God, why would we fear God? And the answer is, we should fear God based on his holiness. Unless we know Jesus. <laughs> you see, the right response is woe is me. And yet... By knowing Jesus, that is not our response. Because God didn't stop there with Isaiah. What God did with Isaiah is he actually took a coal. And it's symbolic. But he takes a coal and puts it on his lips and says, With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The thing that made you look ugly in God's presence, the thing that made you look weak and disgusting and nothing compared to a holy God has actually been taken away. You don't need to fear anymore because I've done something amazing for you not to fear that aspect of me anymore. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus does exactly the same thing for us. The right human response is fear. Unless you know Jesus. Unless you know Jesus, the right human response is, I am stuffed. But through Jesus, we have a different answer. Check this out. Romans 3, 22 to 24. We are made right with God 
by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. It's amazing, isn't it? We should say, woe is me, I'm ruined. And yet because of Jesus, we don't say that. Now, Jesus also messed with our heads. Because normally the way it works is, and we're all experts at this because we have a pandemic that's been going on for a while, that when one person is infected and they hang out with people who aren't infected, what happens? They get infected. And that was the Jewish understanding, that if you're yucky and dirty and impure and you hang out with people who are pure, you pass on your impurity to them. That's a pretty good understanding, isn't it? But what Jesus did, he flipped it upside down because the pure, perfect representation of God in Jesus would walk up to someone who is impure. They may even be dead. That's pretty impure in Jewish, Jewish culture. They touched them. And do you know what happened? Jesus didn't become impure. He actually transfers his holiness to the dead body and it comes back to life. How amazing is that? So the picture isn't that we're stuck in this place of impurity and, and we continually dread the idea of interacting with God, but then we remember that Jesus is pure and holy and paid the price and so we're forgiven. He actually transfers his holiness, his purity, his beautiful nature to mankind. That is mind-blowing. That is phenomenal. That just turns the whole picture upside down because what it does is it then means we have a divine nature of holiness. So when Peter says, be holy because God is holy, we're not going, I don't have a chance. We go, wow, I know Jesus. I have touched, I've experienced what it means to coexist, to connect with the holy, righteous God. And it wasn't a place where I was condemned. It wasn't a place where I was shown my, my faults and my weakness and I looked ugly. It was a place where he tranced his, transferred his beautiful purity onto me. I didn't earn it. I didn't, I didn't deserve it. My ugliness was there. And yet he chose to transfer something so amazingly beautiful to me. We do not need to fear the Lord God Almighty because he sent Jesus. And so when he says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people, he's talking to the church. And you go, look around. Royalty, brother. 
did, did you realise who you, who you put in the room? <laughs> like, surely you could have chosen a better bunch than this. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 no. You missed the point. I can call them a royal, holy, chosen people, not because of them, but because of me. Because I gave it to them. I gifted my beautiful holiness to them. That they, you, me, in spite of who we've been, what we've experienced, what we're ashamed of, doesn't have to define us because God has touched our lives and transferred his holiness to us. But that's only half the story. That's one sort of fear that is not yours and mine to carry. And if you carry that fear, pray to the Lord to take it away because he, he's already taken it away. We just need to own it. We need to receive it. If you don't know who I'm talking about when I say Jesus has done that, please chat to me because there's something amazing that you're missing out on. But if you have experienced it, but you still fear God, feel condemned by your actions and the things that you get wrong, pray. I'd love to pray with you. There'd be others that love to pray with you here because that is not what God has set up and prepared for us. But the other part of holy, other part of fear, is very real and very true. And it's a bit confusing because we use fear for the, for the two places. Often in scripture it says, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Let me give you some examples. Psalm 33.8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom from Proverbs. Also, three more Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord leads to life. What on earth is this fear? This is a very different sort of fear. And when we think about the holiness of God, there's two parts to it. What were the two parts? Set apart from? Set apart from what? Sin and evil. So that's the part where we feel ugly. No need to feel ugly anymore. Set apart for? Glory. That hasn't changed. He's still holy. And even though the set apart from sin and evil is not something we have to be ashamed of, he is still set apart for glory and honour and reverence and worship and praise. And that is still his nature. So when this is talking about fearing the Lord, it is fearing him for his holiness, but it's actually a healthy fear. It's a reverence. And this is really, really exciting and really significant. I love uh, Simon Peter in the, in, the, in the Bible when he's talking to Jesus. He, he makes this statement. And it's something that I think is really powerful. In Luke 5.5 5, he says, Jesus tells him to put the nets out. He's caught nothing, tells him to put the nets out. And he says this, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. He has an inherent respect, an inherent honour of Jesus. There's a phrase we use occasionally, and you'll probably hear it more, 
there's a phrase we use that says, trust first, process later. Trust first, process later. And what that means is that if God says something, because he is holy, my answer is yes. You are holy. I honour and respect you because you are holy. And so I say yes. I might not understand. I might have questions. I might even have concerns. But because you are holy, I say yes. And I love the beautiful picture that Oz gave of that. God, what do you want me to give? Here's a number. It does not make sense. I do not have that money. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know how this is going to happen. But when I trust first and process later, it says, I'm going to say yes, God. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to acknowledge that you've spoken to me and say yes, even though I don't understand. And I think this is such an important part of fearing the Lord, is actually saying, I am not God, you are God. And if I'm not God and you are God, then my response to you needs to, has to be yes. I'm stupid to think otherwise, even if I don't yet understand, even if it doesn't yet all compute and make sense, even if I haven't solved it all in my mind. You're God and I'm not. And you are holy and deserve that reverence and respect. And so I say yes first. For me, one of the models of this that so stands out beautifully is um, three guys in the time that the um, Israelites were uh, captives in Babylon. And in Daniel chapter 6, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Abednego, however you want to say it, the king Nebuchadnezzar has said, bow down and worship my idol. They've said no, and the punishment for that is being thrown into a fire. So they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. Right? Mighty. Two weeks ago. He's mighty. He can save us. We don't doubt that. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. I like their respectful way of saying there's one more powerful than you, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. We do not know what's going to come next. We may burn in a fire or we may be saved, which our God is more than capable of doing. Whichever way it lands, the God we worship, the God we adore, the God we serve, the God we call holy has more reverence and honour and respect than anything else in our lives. And for that... We're going to fear him, not you. We are not going to fear our circumstances more than we fear, that being revere and have reverence for God. This part of fear is good and right and beautiful and how believers are meant to live.
not fearing condemnation, not fearing judgment, because we have been made pure by a God that gave us something we didn't deserve. And yet we fear, give reverence to, and awe and wonder and respect God for who he is way above us. And by way above us, I'm referring to holiness. He is a holy God. That's all I want to share this morning. There's two places of fear. One is a fear we deserve, but we don't have to live in. And the other is a fear that is beautiful. And both come out of this place of a holy God. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for revealing yourself. Lord, we cannot fully comprehend what it means for you to be holy. But as we read scripture, as we journey through life, as we rub shoulders with other believers, Lord, there is something amazing. The Lego movie might have stolen the word awesome and said everything is awesome, but Lord, there is nothing like you when it comes to being holy. There is no one and nothing created on heaven or on earth that compares to you, holy, holy, holy God. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed that to us. I thank you that you have not kept that secret. You have chosen to let us know of your holiness, that we might fear you. Lord, help us give you the reverence and the honour and the glory, the worship and the praise that is due your name. In our weakness, Lord God, help us fix our eyes on you as the Holy One. Jesus, we are so grateful that you have made a way for us to experience your holiness. We rejoice and celebrate in that alone and yet you are worth more than that because you are holy. Soften our hearts, Lord. Soften our hearts to see and respond to you and your nature. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.